This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Nestled deep within the fortress-like walls of the Redwood Bureau's secretive archives, like comprehensive dossiers on inexplicable hotspots peppered across our world, unique locations where the boundaries separating our mundane reality from those enigmatic dimensions, infinitely more sinister, becomes nearly indistinguishable, permitting unnatural beings a path of ingress. As someone who has experienced the unfathomed depths of quantum distortions during my tenure with the Bureau, I can attest to the theory suggesting the existence of innumerable dimensions beyond the confines of our perceived reality. These unseen dimensions are separated from our own by what can best be described as a fabric of metaphysical matter, translucent and fluid. In certain extraordinary locations, dictated by geological formations, surges in electromagnetic activity, or other factors yet unknown to our understanding, this metaphysical barrier thins precariously, resulting in a highly unusual occurrence termed as an interdimensional convergence. At these extremely scarce convergence points, the bordering membranes between realities become permeable. This can and does allow entities and energies from proximate quantum planes to pass through into our own realm. 
A wealth of Redwood Bureau's covert data suggests the presence of one such interdimensional hotspot concealed in a remote town, the identity of which is an intensely protected secret. For years, the seemingly innocuous town has served as a pulsating epicenter for a series of unexplained phenomena and activities defying conventional logic. The Bureau files have christened this anomalous entity, an elusive creature that seems to manipulate the quantum instability of the area for its interdimensional transitions, as Phenomenon 9648, or, more ominously, the Veil Crawler. Traditional methods of tracking and containment are woefully inadequate against this elusive being, as it remains seemingly unaffected by the constraints of our physical realm. Enclosed within this dossier, you will find a selection of meticulously curated files that I've managed to excavate from the Bureau's classified archives. These files present an extensive study of the Veilcrawler's reign of terror in this vulnerable convergence town. However, as the veil between dimensions continues to wane, a disconcerting question lingers ominously in the shadows. What other nefarious entities lie in wait, eager to exploit these fragile dimensional barriers, before the Bureau can before find a viable method a to viable mend method the metaphysical breach? Nine one one. What's your emergency? Please help! There's someone trying to break into my house. I hear scratching on the walls and these strange noises on the roof. Okay, sir. I need you to stay calm. Can you provide your full address so we can get units out to you? I live at. Wait. What is that? I see something in my backyard. Some kind of creature. It's got all these glowing tentacles and it's huge. I've never seen anything like. Hello, sir. Can you hear me? Hello? I think we got disconnected. Please, you have to send someone now. There's a monster trying to get into my house. I'm at the end of Cedar Street. What the hell is this? Sir, remain calm. We are sending emergency responders to your location immediately. Can you describe what you saw in your backyard? I don't know how to describe it. It's a huge creature covered in glowing lights and tentacles. It came right out of the wall from the building next door, and it's looking at me through the window. Now it's coming toward the house. Please hurry. I can hear it on the roof. Oh, God. It's right above me. The lights have started flickering. I think it's cutting the power. I can barely see anything now. What's happening? Oh, God. Sir, listen to me. Lock yourself in a room and stay away from the windows. Help will be there soon. Do not engage with the intruder under any circumstances. It's coming through the wall. I can see those glowing tentacles coming through. Oh, God, they're coming for me. Get someone here now. I need... I had never been one to believe in the supernatural. I live in a small rural town just outside of the city, and there had always been strange stories and rumors about disappearances and weird occurrences. But nothing had ever been proven or even particularly credible. Still, it was a strange place and the shadows always seemed to linger a bit too long in the night. Like everyone else, I had heard stories of people vanishing without a trace and I'd even overheard the occasional mumble about something sinister lurking in the shadows, since it usually came from one of the regulars at the local pub, a guy who liked to drink too much. Most folks didn't pay much attention to it. But then it started happening for real. 
people began to disappear. In the rural community where I was living, it was hard to keep track of exactly who was missing and who wasn't. But it was clear that something was wrong. It just didn't add up. Families were being torn apart, and the mood of the town slowly became one of fear and uncertainty. People turned on each other. No one trusted anyone else. But even still, everyone tried to act like nothing was happening. It started with Sam. I think she was a year older than me. She was raised by a single mother who passed away a few years ago to cancer. One day she just wasn't around anymore, and no one thought much of it. I heard someone say to their friend that she'd gone off to college or something. I remember that striking me as odd, but didn't think too hard on it. Then a kid went missing. Everyone noticed that one. He was just a small boy, only six years old. The sheriff's department led an investigation, taking volunteers to search the woods and the surrounding area, but they found nothing. It was like he had vanished into thin air. He'd been with two friends when it happened, almost dusk. They said they thought they had seen something in the woods where they were playing. They all ran, but when they made it back to their neighborhood, there were only two boys instead of three. The town was in a state of panic and rumors began to circulate of everything you can think of, from serial killer to rabid bear. Most people stopped venturing out after dark, and children were kept indoors almost always. The police had no leads, and everybody was paying close attention. A few weeks went by and it seemed like the town forgot about the whole thing. Things went back to normal for the most part. Or maybe it was more so that people wanted things to go back to normal. There was still a darkness hanging in the air that most refused to acknowledge. Myself included. It wasn't until the third disappearance that I started to take notice. I mean, obviously I had noticed, but I wasn't really paying attention. It wasn't happening to me, so I guess it didn't feel real. It was one of the drunks I mentioned earlier, arguably the most innocuous of all the vanishing so far. I had walked to the grocery store that was three blocks away, grabbing a couple of things to feed myself for the next few days. I walked back at a brisk pace. The autumn air had quite the chill made worse by the persisting wind. As I walked by an alley, the old drunk popped out and grabbed me by the collar, scared the hell out of me. You can only see it in the dark. He mumbled out with slurred speech. Alcohol heavy on his breath. I think his name was Odie, but I could be wrong about that. Either way, I just wanted him to get away from me. Alright, man. Well, just stay in the light then. I said, trying to break his grasp from my jacket. Then I won't know where it is. He said, shaking me. I need to find where it took her. I pulled away from him and immediately started to walk away. I could hear him muttering to himself as I walked down the street. It wasn't until I was back at my apartment that I started to think about what he said. You can only see it in the dark. What did that mean? 
I brushed it off at first, thinking he was obviously a drunk, talking drunk nonsense. But then the next day, one of my co-workers went missing. She was a young girl, fresh out of college and always had a smile on her face. I remember seeing the missing posters around town and feeling a pit in my stomach. It was happening again. It wasn't a coincidence and this time it was somebody I had direct contact with. That's when I started to really pay attention. I asked around a little, trying to get any information I could, but nobody seemed to know anything. Everyone was just pretending that nothing was going on, that everything was unrelated, that we were safe. We definitely aren't. I thought back to that drunk and what he'd said. It stood out so clearly in my mind. You can only see it in the dark. What was it that he was referring to? I needed to find out. It was probably nonsense, but what if he'd seen something? That evening, I headed to the pub searching for Odie, or whatever his name was. But when I asked if anyone had seen him, no one had a clue. It must have been around the time he'd accosted me on the sidewalk anyone saw him last. Perhaps I was the last person who saw him. I don't know what I was thinking, playing detective, but I decided to go check in the alley where he'd come out of. It was a dark alley that smelled like garbage and urine, but I had to know what Odie was talking about. I walked cautiously, my heart pounding in my chest, scanning the ground as I searched for anything left behind or out of place. I was almost at the back of the alley, scanning left to right before the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. This feeling of danger and evil filled my senses, causing my eyes to snap forward. The alley ended in an old brick wall. In front of it, a glowing purple orb, almost like a huge firefly flickering about. It faded and pulsed brightly, playfully dancing up and down, side to side. I felt myself drawn to it. I wanted to touch it, to see what it was. I was filled with a sense of whimsical mystery. And before I knew it, I was a few steps away from the orb. My hand was reaching out all on its own. The desire it created was incredible. You could only see it in the dark. Those words echoed through my mind once again, and the sense of awe was quickly replaced with a heavy dread. With great force of will, I fought my body to stop, the pull answering even stronger. But as I stopped, the glowing light stopped as well, almost as if it were confused. I forced my shaking hand to reach into my pocket and pull out my phone, not daring to look away from the strange thing in front of me. I held it up, turning on the flashlight. As soon as the light shined upon the strange glowing light, it vanished. I was stunned. It really disappeared before my eyes. I was contemplating the absurdity of the situation, playing it back in my head step by step, trying to think of where I started imagining things. But the harder I thought about it, the more I knew this was happening. I don't know exactly what this was, but I was sure it had something to do with the disappearances. Something in the air prickled my hairs and set my heart racing once again. Then it clicked. You can only see it in the dark. I slowly raised my other hand, the trembling finger sliding upwards to block my phone's light. Just for a second, I told myself 
just to make sure I'm not going crazy. I covered the light to a horrific sight bursting to life in front of me. I was face to face with an entity from a fevered nightmare. Two glowing eyes pierced into me, contained within a large head that was entirely alien. Many vertical slits conjoined into a horrific flexing mouth that trailed down its ethereal body. It was made of arms and tentacles that twitched and shifted. The entire thing glowed with a blue and purple bioluminescence that sent electric jolts of fear through my body as they pulsed and shimmered. Half of the creature was still inside of the brick wall, but it was coming out slowly, getting bigger every second. I instinctively lifted my left foot to take a step back. The creature's movements halted, its limbs spread out and pointed at me like weapons. I froze, afraid that the slightest movement would break the tension and force this thing that I was now sure had something to do with the disappearance into action. Seconds ticked by that felt like hours before it lunged. The eyes burned with hunger as countless limbs reached to engulf me. I fell backwards, tripping over myself while holding my hands out in front of me. The light from my phone freed from my grasp, illuminating the alleyway in front of me, revealing an old dirty brick wall and nothing else. Within my chest, my heart sought to hammer its way out as the blood was pushed to every corner of my shaking body. I quickly got up, turning the light all around me, afraid that it could come from anywhere and from any direction. After the harrowing encounter in the alley, I stumbled back home, my mind racing and heart pounding. Had I really seen what I thought I saw? Some ethereal horror, straight out of a nightmare manifesting before my eyes? Perhaps it was just my mind playing tricks in my panicked state. Over the next few days, I tried to convince myself it wasn't real, but I couldn't shake the chilling memory of its glowing eyes piercing into me. I felt watched everywhere I went, catching whispers of movement in the shadows. At night, I left every light blazing, afraid that the creature could phase through the walls if even a single room went dark. I lay awake, ears strained, listening for any sign of the entity's presence outside my small apartment. The dark corners of my room seemed to writhe and pulse with an otherworldly bioluminescence though when I blinked and shook my head, it was gone. My nerves were frayed to their ends. I stopped going out after dusk fell. During the day, I tried warning anyone who would listen about what was lurking in our town, praying under the cover of night, but they all dismissed me as a drunk or a liar looking for attention. It was clear no one would believe my wild tale without proof. I was on my own. During the day, I frantically tried to find any scrap of evidence that would validate my claims about the creature to the dismissive townspeople, but other than the continued periodic disappearances, there was nothing concrete I could point to. At night, my apartment became my sanctuary. Every light burning brightly to ward off the darkness. I'd often catch flickers of unnatural light in the corners of rooms, or pulsing glows through the windows but whenever I whipped around to look, there was nothing. The sounds were the worst. Creaks and groans within the walls, as if something was slithering through the very structure around me. 
the soft patter of footsteps seeming to circle the exterior when I knew no one was there. And sometimes, late at night, I thought I could hear the chilling refrain of Odie's warning whispered through the walls. You can only see it in the dark. The whispers and shadows surrounding me at night grew more overt. I'd catch glimpses of writhing tendrils, creeping under doorways, or glowing eyes peering through the curtains. One evening, all the lights in my living room went out simultaneously. I froze, gripped by terror in the sudden darkness. A screech like metal on glass rang out. As a mass of slimy bioluminescent tendrils took an alien humanoid shape, its jagged inhuman movements shambling closer across the wall. I fumbled for my phone and turned on the flashlight just as the eldritch creature scrambled towards me. The light seemed to deter it, making the apparition rapidly dissipate. My hands shook as I desperately turned all the lights back on. Something had been inside my home. The otherworldly entity was no longer content to simply lurk outside. It was coming for me, and the light could only protect me for so long. I awoke one night to the sound of screams outside my window. I rushed to look out and saw my neighbor Jessica in her backyard, frantically swatting at the air and stumbling as if trying to escape some invisible foe. Suddenly, bioluminescent tendrils materialized out of the darkness, engulfing Jessica in their eldritch grip. She let out one final blood-curdling shriek before collapsing to the ground. Her body drained and withered. The alien entity held her limp form in its grasps, seeming to feed off her life force. Then it slipped back into the shadows. Jessica's desiccated corpse disappeared along with it into the night. I stood there shaking, flooded with guilt that I hadn't been able to save her. How could I convince everyone to believe me when I had no proof except these fleeting glimpses of horror? The creature was getting bolder, taking victims from their own homes while I hid helpless behind the barrier of light. The next day, I went door to door in a frenzy telling anyone who answered about the entity and poor Jessica's demise. Most dismissed me as mad. Some threatened to call the police if I didn't leave them be. I even tried waiting at the station to speak to the sheriff directly, but he just laughed me off, saying we had enough real problems to deal with. My warnings and pleas fell on deaf ears. No one believed such a creature could exist, except for in campfire tales. I couldn't make them understand the danger that lurked in the shadows that would take them all one by one once night fell. Exhausted and demoralized, I finally retreated back to my apartment as the sun began to set. No one would listen or help. I was the only one aware of the true horror plaguing our town and the only one who could see the end coming for us all. The night of the storm, sinking dread overtook me as I hoped and prayed to not lose power. I secured every window and door as best I could, but deep down I knew it was futile once the power failed. 
Around midnight, the lights flickered once, twice, before the whole block went dark. I lit every candle I could find, but it wasn't nearly enough to fully banish the shadows. The windows rattled violently from the gale outside, but above the wind, I could hear shrieks and whispers growing closer. The entity was coming. My frail lights had only delayed the inevitable. I rushed to barricade myself in the closet, the last small space I could illuminate. The creature's shrieks echoed from outside the closet doors. Any minute it would find me. As howls resonated from all around, I stacked everything I could against the door, even though I knew it wouldn't do any good. Huddled with my flickering candle, I regretted not being able to convince the others of the true threat before it was too late. Now, as the maelstrom raged around me, I knew these were my final moments. The light sputtered, casting twisting shadows across the walls. Then my candle burnt out, and darkness fell completely as a glowing tendril came through the wall. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I hurried down the empty sidewalk, clutching my jacket tightly against the biting autumn chill. I was running late to meet Sam at the diner, 
our usual spot for milkshakes every Friday afternoon. Lately, something seemed off about Sam. A certain jitteriness had underscored our recent hangouts. I tried to chalk it up to the anniversary of her mother's death coming up. I mean, who wouldn't be a bit introspective dealing with that? As I neared the diner, with its glowing windows promising warmth and familiarity, I spotted Sam in our usual booth, seemingly lost in thought, staring into the mug held in both her hands. She seemed so distant, so absorbed, that she didn't even notice me sliding into the seat across from her. Earth to Sam, I said, aiming for a playful tone. Sam jumped, some of her coffee sloshing over the brim. Jeez, you scared me, Sam replied, hastily mopping up the spill with her napkin. The dark circles under her eyes seemed to have deepened. Sorry, you were spacing out pretty hard. Everything okay? I asked, trying to sound casual. But I knew something was definitely off with her. I decided right then as her friend that I would get to the bottom of it. Over the weekend, I texted Sam to finalize our movie night plans. No reply. I called her Sunday evening, straight to voicemail. By Tuesday, a gnawing feeling of dread started to creep in. This wasn't like Sam. She'd never blown me off or ignored me. At work, I asked around, but no one had seen or heard from her. By Wednesday, I had decided to take matters into my own hands. I spent the morning before work printing out missing posters with Sam's picture and plastered them all over town. The police were convinced that Sam had simply left of her own accord without notice. But, deep down, I knew that wasn't right. Something had happened to my friend, and I was determined to get to the bottom of it. After posting the flyers, I decided to check Sam's apartment for any clues about her sudden disappearance. The landlord let me in, casually remarking, Police didn't find anything amiss. But to me, it was immediately clear that things were off drawers left half open, chairs askew, bed unmade. It was unlike Sam, who was always so meticulous. With a growing sense of unease, I started combing the town more closely for answers. Flickering streetlights down deserted side streets, hasty retreats of friendly townsfolk when I came around asking questions, and the odd scraping noises that seemed to echo down shadow-covered alleys at night. All added to my suspicion that something was seriously wrong. Everyone could feel it, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. One night, I stepped into the local dive bar, and all the TVs and neon signs blinked out in unison for ten seconds before buzzing back on. That eerie incident filled me with a prickly feeling of dread, but also determination. I felt like I was getting closer to the truth, even though I couldn't explain the bizarre events just yet. While exploring the town's gloomier back streets, 
I heard shuffling footsteps behind me. I whirled around to find the town drunk, staggering unsteadily towards me. We won't find your friend, girl. Nobody ever finds them once it takes. He slurred ominously. My eyes widened in alarm. This was the same town drunk I'd overheard customers whispering about. The one who was always ranting about shadows lurking in the darkness. You know something about what's happening, don't you? I demanded. What takes people? He simply cackled in response, the stench of cheap booze heavy on his breath. Best to stop looking, if you know what's good for you. If I were you, I'd get out of town. He muttered cryptically before stumbling away, leaving me feeling more disturbed than ever. Emboldened by the strange encounter, I decided to break into Sam's apartment again, now more convinced than ever that something dark was happening. It was then that I discovered a book peeking out from under Sam's mattress. A nondescript journal filled with entries, but the ones dating back to a month ago started to fill in some of the gaps. In it, Sam had penned her growing fears. She wrote about strange things happening around town. Lights flickering, eerie noises at night, a persistent feeling of being watched, especially after sundown. The entries grew more panicked over time, recounting encounters with some creature lurking in the shadows. The final entry, a week old, was a chilling prediction of her own impending doom. I closed the journal, hands shaking, my mind reeling. Sam hadn't left on her own. Someone had taken her. Something, if her last insane writings were to be believed. And I seemed to be the only one who cared. Over the next several nights, I found myself patrolling the back streets, phone in hand, ready to call the police or document anything out of the ordinary. It was during one such late-night vigil that I heard a faint scream from the woods. I rushed toward the sound and came face to face with a pulsating, glowing orb. It wasn't like anything I'd seen before. I was gripped by a strange compulsion to move closer. As I approached, the orb dimmed and from the darkness, swirling tendrils lit by a bluish-purple glow emerged. Paralyzed with fear, I watched as the tendrils reached for me. Coming back to my senses, I fumbled for my phone and snapped a photo. But as the camera flash illuminated the scene, it left behind only an ordinary tree in its place. But the image was burned into my memory. Now, I knew without a doubt that something unnatural lurked in this town. Something that had taken Sam. And I was more determined than ever to continue my search until I uncovered the whole terrifying truth.
I sighed, rubbing my temples as the phone rang again. I had lost count of how many calls the night shift had fielded about the entity we now dubbed RBP number 9648, or the Veil Crawler. Agent Cross, I answered briskly, seeing his ID pop up. What's the situation on your end? Mercer, we're prepping to head out. I need a full sit rep before we deploy. How's it looking out there tonight? Not good, my friend. The Veilcrawler's attacks are escalating exponentially. Sightings everywhere. Missing persons are stacking up. We're all hands on deck trying to keep this quiet. I'm briefing in ten and boots on the ground within the hour. Give me everything you have. Copy that. Well, first, Entity 9648 appears capable of temporarily manipulating quantum phase states to shift between dimensional planes. We've designated it a threat-level disastrous interdimensional parasitic entity based on collected data. I pull up the threat analysis charts and scans, sending them to his screen. It manifests an orb of biophotonic energy that lures victims by putting them in a mesmerized state, almost like an anglerfish. Then, it utilizes an array of tendril appendages to restrain and embed dilation probes to extract fluids and dissolve organic matter. 9648 has displayed signs of heightened intelligence, even hunting down people that witnessed it and seems capable of rapid adaptation. It dwells within areas of low illumination and cannot seem to remain physically in our dimension under direct exposure to light. I highlighted a video attachment, playing it on both our screens. As you'll see here, 9648 causes some sort of localized blackout while hunting a local gun store owner. The security camera footage shows the man running to the back of his store, where he enters a room and locks a thick steel security door. The entity phases right through solid steel before... Gunshots crack before it envelops the man and sucks the life out of him. Hmm. 9648 doesn't display any clear physiological weaknesses we can exploit. Conventional weapons pass right through with minimal damage. Have you formulated any theories on containment? I brought up several encrypted data files on my screen. There is a possibility that we could overload its quantum phase buffer using focused delta radiation bursts. I have an engineering team working on a specialized containment chamber to keep it localized. However, the nature of 9648's rapid adaptability remains concerning. We have no guarantees such efforts would do more than annoy it. Neutralization may ultimately prove necessary, given the exponential risk posed to the Bureau if 9648 escapes containment. I'll follow up with Dr. Abbott in R&D on any progress with the radiation chamber. Anything else critical I should be aware of before we deploy the containment team? Well, there is one additional matter. A civilian named Jessa Shaw, I said, pulling up her profile. She's becoming... problematic since her friend went missing. She's begun piecing things together. She knows too much. The last 72 hours of our tracking indicates she's been staking out known entity hotspots. She needs to be dealt with before she uncovers too much. 
I sighed, exhausted at just the thought of that impending mess. After Samantha disappeared two weeks ago, Jessa began her own ongoing investigation, canvassing the town and calling in repeated sightings. She claims law enforcement is ignoring evidence of paranormal involvement. I pulled up Jessa's call transcripts, highlighting patterns. As you can see, she's become obsessed, stalking areas linked to 9648 attacks based on leaked first responder reports. She poses a credible threat of exposing Bureau involvement through her amateur but increasingly educated probing. So far, I've been able to divert her calls to our team without raising red flags. But containment protocol will likely require decisive intervention soon. My last words hung heavy. We both knew this could get messy. I'll handle it. My team will be ready after briefing. Keep me updated on 9648's location. Recently disclosed files firmly corroborate the existence of the entity known as Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 9648, or the Veil Crawler. This being presents as an interdimensional predator, ruthlessly feeding on the vitality of human life, taking advantage of a quantum convergence nestled within the classified confines of redacted. The Veil Crawler, as the case files suggest, displays a chilling level of intelligence. It deftly wields the shadows as its hunting ground, employs a disorienting bioluminescence, and manipulates electromagnetic energies to unbalance its prey. The malevolent entity seems to select its victims indiscriminately, phasing in and out of our dimension at will to hunt with incredible efficiency. The Bureau's long and arduous battle to contain this entity was fought with difficulty and despair. Conventional armaments rendered ineffective, merely passing through its ephemeral form as though merely piercing the air. Only when confronted with intense light or potent radiation does it retreat, scuttling back into the sanctuary of the interdimensional veil. Following several encounters with Bureau field agents, the creature's demeanor took a chilling turn. Its behavior morphed from a stalking predator to an aggressive territorial beast, displaying an unprecedented level of brutality. In an audacious and desperate move, the Bureau repurposed an experimental resonance chamber originally intended for another unnamed entity. This chamber, a revolutionary construct, weaponizes focused delta radiation to destabilize the cohesion of matter. Their theory was that overloading the Veil Crawler's quantum phase buffer could disrupt its tenuous dimensional link. The consequences, however, were nothing short of disastrous. While the resonance chamber successfully shattered the Veil Crawler's physical form, the massive radiation fallout surged throughout, redacted, triggering a lethal shockwave that left the town decimated. The unleashed radiation rapidly permeated the soil, contaminated the water, and fouled the air, precipitating swift mutations and causing the deaths of countless residents, while leaving others forever scarred, both genetically and physiologically. The Bureau's recovery team secretly disposed of the irradiated bodies in concealed mass graves. Survivors were forcefully relocated and subjected to intrusive metacognitive treatments designed to expunge memories of the horrifying event. To pacify any lingering doubts and fears, the Bureau disseminated a concocted narrative of an industrial accident and a hazardous spill being the cause of the devastation. Today, 
the once thriving land stands quarantined, a grim monument to the events that transpired. It plays host to a plethora of mutated life and bizarre reality distortions, courtesy of the lingering radioactive instability. While they may have temporarily vanquished the Veil Crawler, the true extent of this interdimensional breach remains veiled in mystery. What other monstrous entities linger in the shadows, biding their time beyond the frail veil, eagerly awaiting their eagerly chance awaiting their to chance satiate their to hunger, satiate on, their our hunger world. on our world?